Let's sing that little chorus together. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. I do greet you in the worthy name of Jesus this morning. And that is our goal in life, is it not? As Christian people, to be someone that the Lord can use for His purposes, for His glory. But there are requirements for use in the kingdom of God. And as that little chorus says, we must be pure and holy. And sometimes it takes those times of testing and trial to bring us to that point. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes that Jesus is soon returning for a church, a glorious church, he says, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but a church that is holy and without blemish. That's the church that Jesus is returning for. And we say, yes, amen, amen. I, that's, that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. Yes, I want to be a part of a church like that. But let us not forget that the church is made up of individuals. <laughs> the church is made up of, of people just like me. And the church is made up of people just like you. And so if the church is going to be a church that is holy and without blemish, then it means that each of us personally needs to have a passion to protect and preserve the purity of the church. Let me say that again. Each of us personally needs to have a passion to protect and preserve the purity of the church. And so I ask you, do you want to be a, a part of a pure church? Then be a pure person. Uh, do you want to be a part of an honest church? Then be an honest person. Uh, do you want to be a part of a church that is on fire for the Lord? It ain't going to happen without the people being on fire for the Lord. Be that kind of a person. Be the kind of a person that you want to see in the church. And so it's vitally important that we take spiritual inventory of our lives. In fact, the scripture calls us to examine ourselves, to see where we are. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 for several verses here at the beginning. And here the Apostle Paul is giving some directions here, is giving some admonition, you could say, concerning the Lord's Supper. We'll begin at verse 27, 
but just prior to this, he is quoting Jesus, speaking of eating the bread and drinking the cup of the Lord's Supper, verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And so the Apostle Paul makes it very clear here that there's more than one way you can partake of the Lord's Supper. And he makes it clear that it can be taken unworthily. In other words, taken by those who have not duly examined themselves spiritually. He's suggesting that it can be taken sometimes with lack of thought to our true condition. With lack of thought to our relationships, whether it be with God, whether it be with our brothers and sisters in the church, whether it be with our husband or wife, whether it be with our children. He's suggesting that sometimes the Lord's Supper is taken without proper thought given to these parts of life. Also in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, the Apostle Paul writes, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Now I understand this morning there are various ways we can do this. There are various ways that we can examine ourselves. There's various ways that we can take spiritual inventory of our life. But perhaps one of the best ways to examine ourselves is to meditate on our loving Heavenly Father. When we consider the tender mercies of our loving Heavenly Father, when we consider the kind compassion of our loving Heavenly Father, when we consider the complete forgiveness that He extends, it moves us to look inside. It moves us to take a look into our heart and life because we see such a gap there. You see, we are so prone to compare ourselves among ourselves, and the Scripture makes it clear that such things is not wise. But when we, when we compare ourselves with others around us, we can always find a way to make ourselves look okay with where we're at. However, the truth is that when we compare ourselves with God, we are always found wanting. There is always room to grow. So, let's examine ourselves this morning by looking at some Old Testament passages 
that speak directly about our loving Heavenly Father and how He relates to His children, how He relates to you, how He relates to me. Let's start with Psalm 130. Psalm 130. Keep in mind, as I read this, down towards the end of this short psalm, it speaks of of Israel. And and I would like to broaden that just a bit this morning, and I I don't believe I'm doing injustice to the scripture here, to just simply refer to God's people. God's people. God's chosen people. And who is that today? Well... That's not just the nation of Israel, that's the church of Jesus Christ. That's you and me today. Psalm 130, verse 1, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who should stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in His word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say, more than they that watch for the morning. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with Him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The psalmist asked that question in verse 3. If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? And the resounding answer is no one. No one would stand if God was actually striking marks for every time we failed. No one would make it. No one is righteous enough, is good enough to appear holy and blameless before God on our own. But there is forgiveness with thee. And we can praise the Lord this morning that it is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we today experience forgiveness for our sins. And yes, we've committed them. And we've committed many sins. But the Lord is a forgiving God that isn't keeping record of how many sins we've made. Praise God for that this morning. I need that. I trust our desire is similar to the one of the psalmist in verse 6. And he repeats it. He's thinking there, I believe, of the watchman that has been on his post all night long. And that night is just getting really long. And he is just waiting for the morning. Especially maybe a night that there's been no activity. And he's just waiting for the morning, and he's really waiting for the morning. For that, that change of guard, as it were. 
And the psalmist says, my soul waits for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say, more than they that watch for the morning. In other words, the psalmist was hard after God, waiting on Him. His hope was in God. Let's turn to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. We're looking at verses and passages this morning uh, that speak of our loving Heavenly Father and how He relates to His children. Verse 8. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all and His tender mercies are over all His works. Verse 18, the Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon Him, to all that call upon Him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear Him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30, and starting at verse 15. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest shall ye be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. And ye would not. But ye said, No, for we will flee upon horses, therefore shall ye flee. And ye said, We will ride upon the swift, therefore shall they that pursue you be swift. One thousand shall flee at the rebuke of one, and at the rebuke of five shall ye flee, till ye be left as a beacon upon the top of a mountain, and as an ensign on a hill. And yet therefore will the Lord wait, that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. Thou shalt weep no more. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer thee. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction... Yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner any more, but thine eyes shall see thy teachers, and thine ears shall hear a word behind thee saying, This is the way, walk ye in it, when ye turn to the right hand and when ye turn to the left. I see the loving hand of God guiding his people, guiding his children in these few verses. In spite of their rebellion. Note what God's will is for us, for his people, in verse 15. This is the Lord God. This is the Holy One. And he says, in returning in rest, you'll be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. And look at the response of his people. 
No. Let us do it our own way. We can't sit still that long. We got to see something happening. It's too hard to trust God. And I'm reminded of a little quote by Paul Washer where he takes a, a similar thought of us speaking against the will of God. And I don't have it word for word, but he pictures God there at the scene of creation. And he said, there stands God at the day of creation. And he says to the moon and the sun and the stars, shine forth. And they say, yes, sir. And he says to the planets, you know, go in orbit and spin and do this and that. And they say, yes. And he says, mountains be lifted up. And they obey him. And valleys be made low. And they do his will. And then he looks at you and me. And he just says, come. And we put our hands on our hips and say, no. The audacity that we as little human beings often have in the face of a mighty and holy God, a sovereign God. And here we have reflection of that in this passage of Isaiah 30. And we have the Lord's kind and gentle response. Verse 18, And yet therefore will the Lord wait, that he may be gracious, and who have mercy. And if you cry, he'll hear you. Verses 20 and 21 speak of the fact that the Word of God is so available. There's clear direction available. And perhaps at this time or before this, uh, they were going through a time where the Word of God was not as available. But he says that... Yet not thy teacher shall be removed in a corner anymore. But you'll see it. The word of God will be readily available. And, and that is true for us today. And he speaks also, I say, of the spirit of God in verse 21. That gives guidance and direction to us in life. God makes his will clear to us. It's available. Are we listening? We're examining ourselves this morning. And I believe as we look at the holiness of God, as we look at His gentle and loving ways, it behooves us to draw closer to Him and see ourselves as we truly are. Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, verse 6 and 7. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Abundantly pardon. Oftentimes when we think of the word pardon, we think of receiving something that we don't rightfully deserve. 
this verse says that when we return to the Lord, the picture is there that he's with outstretched arms saying, come on home, child. I forgive you. It's the mercy and pardon of, of God. I asked you this morning, what does your pardon mean to you? What value is it to you? Recently I read that during the early days of the Civil War, there was a Union soldier that was arrested on charges of desertion. And being unable to prove his innocence, he was condemned and sentenced to a deserter's death. And he made an appeal, and that appeal found its way to the desk of President Abraham Lincoln. And the president had mercy for this soldier, and he signed a pardon for him. And as the story goes, the soldier returned to service, and he fought the duration of the war, and in the very last battle of that war, he was killed. And after his death, they found in his chest pocket that signed pardon. That signed pardon. You see, close to that soldier's heart were the pardoning words of his leader. And those words gave him courage. Those words gave him confidence to keep keeping on. Those were words of mercy that made a difference in that soldier's life. I ask you this morning, what does your pardon mean to you? What value is it to you? Does it cause you to, to give wholehearted commitment and allegiance to Jesus Christ? Does it cause you to trust His Word, to step forward in faith, even when that way looks so uncertain? And I, the words of an old Negro spiritual comes to my mind uh, that the Fisk Jubilee singers sing so powerfully, Lord, I'm out here on your word. I'm out here on your word. If I die on the battlefield, I'm out here on your word. It speaks of confidence and trust no matter what may come. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. For a closing passage, turn to Lamentations chapter 3. And here in Lamentations chapter 3, we read of a prophet who is just really lamenting over his lot in life. He's going through a lot of afflictions. He's going through some difficult times. And he's just, he's having a pity party, you could say. <laughs> he's really discouraged about this. Verse 21. He had a change of mind when he thought about something. Verse 21. This I recall to my mind. Therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. 
They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. And then note verses 40 and 41. Here are some keys for walking closely with the Lord. You could say they're keys for true revival in your life. Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. I say that's a proper response to acknowledging our unworthiness. Having a perspective on God and who He is, on His kindness, on His mercy, on His forgiveness. Let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. And so we look forward to sharing together next Sunday in our communion service. But until then, let us examine our lives. Let us take spiritual inventory. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8, Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the leaven of sincerity and truth. Let us keep it with that kind of leaven. Let us pray.